Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, January 14th. We begin with a look at the future of the Keystone XL pipeline. We speak with Alberta's former representative in Washington and current CEO of the Canada West Foundation, Gary Marr, on what a Joe Biden presidency means for the pipeline project. For many Canadians, it's become the new normal during the pandemic, working from home. We speak with an HR professional on the pros and cons of making remote work permanent in a post-pandemic world. It's the kind of story you'd expect to see on the big screen, international espionage, with the key player being a senior intelligence official with our nation's top police force. We speak with Global News investigative journalist Sam Cooper on the remarkable story unfolding within the RCMP. And finally, a look at the hottest tech trends ahead for 2021. We get a breakdown for this year's Consumer Electronics Show with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. 7.09 on the morning news. Last year, it was made clear President-elect Joe Biden would cancel a a key permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. But could there be a glimmer of hope in moving the project forward under a Biden government? We're joined now by Gary Marr, Alberta's former representative in Washington and current CEO of the Canada West Foundation, with the details. Good morning to you, Gary. Good morning, Andrew. So we've we've moved months past from, you know, saying that there's absolutely no way this would happen uh, with President Joe Biden, as we're going to be inaugurating him down to the south in six days. Uh, But what's your level of optimism now? Has has it changed? Do we have that glimmer of hope? Well, I wouldn't say that I was optimistic, but I do see a pathway for uh, for uh, vice for President-elect Biden to move forward on KXL. But a lot of things are in play. I mean, uh, look, we're a week before the inauguration. We're within the last two weeks of uh, seeing a flip in the uh, in the Senate that is now going to be under Democrat control. Uh, we've uh, you know we've seen a, a president uh, impeached for the first time in history for a second time. Uh, lots of things are in motion. But let me say this: if if Joe Biden is given the up or down question, uh, do you approve? KXL? The answer is going to be no. Uh, But what will be necessary is setting a broader table of issues for him to consider. So as the United States wants to go to Paris, uh, re-enter the Paris Accord, um, you know, the the role of the prime minister in making that happen will be critical. Uh, There may be uh, the need for the prime minister to talk about uh, a North American energy strategy uh, with Joe Biden. And part of that strategy would be uh, things like clean fuel standards, would be things like uh, methane emission regulations, would be things, but perhaps uh, carbon taxes in the United States. Uh, if, if, um, if Keystone is part of a larger package of things that uh, relate to the environment, if you can merge the policies of energy and environment, that is a p- possible pathway to getting Keystone approved. Mm-hmm. You know, and Gary, and on that note, I mean, the economy obviously is an issue both here in Canada and in the United States with a multi-billion dollar project at stake. You wouldn't think that the president would pull the plug on such a thing. So, I mean, it's, it, is it as important for the U.S. as it is for us here in Canada? It's a very interesting question you asked, Sue. And yesterday I was talking with uh, somebody who uh, is from the Teamsters uh, uh, works in the office of the uh, the president of the Teamsters here in Canada. They're very supportive of uh, of Keystone, uh, and of course uh, the Teamsters are across Canada and the United States. I think about three quarters of them are in the U.S. and about a quarter of them are in Canada. 
And so uh, the Teamsters here in Canada are, are working hard with their uh, uh, their colleagues in the United States to move it forward. Four major uh, labor unions uh, have come out in support of the pipeline and supported Joe Biden. Uh, and here's one difference is that um, Barack Obama also had the support of unions, but they tended to be the public service unions. Uh, Joe Biden, by comparison, uh, is much more closely associated with the labor unions, what, what we would call the hard hats. And that may be a factor that, uh, that uh, uh, plays into the, uh, this, uh, the whole issue of Keystone XL. Again, it's got to be lar- part of a larger table of issues. It cannot be a single issue. And, and I would put down this one notation on the negative side is that if you look at who um, uh, President-elect Biden is putting forward to his cabinet, people like John Kerry and, uh, and uh, former Governor Grant, uh, Granholm from Michigan, uh, this does not make it look like an easy, uh, an easy pathway for KXL. But the good news is, is that it is Joe Biden alone that has to make this decision. He does not need to refer to his cabinet. And Gary, uh, Joe Biden has made clear that his first hundred days, it's going to be 100 percent focus on the coronavirus and vaccine rollouts. And now we're six days away from inauguration uh, next Wednesday. So, so I'm wondering uh, what kind of a time frame could anybody even expect to, to uh, get a yay or nay on this thing with a real busy agenda for uh, president-elect Joe Biden? Well, what's interesting uh, from what I've read uh, coming out of uh, uh, people that uh, he has named uh, to be part of his his team, uh, you know, people like uh, Jake Sullivan, who's uh, named to be his uh, national security advisor. I mean, it, when it comes to matters of trade, uh, Mr. Sullivan has said, look, we're going to have to talk with all of our partners first before we make decisions on things like tariffs in China and, you know, our relationships with Canada and so on and so forth. So, uh, I mean, that's a good news piece. Uh, There's lots of breadcrumbs for us to look at and try and, you know, weigh the evidence to see which which direction he's going to go. But clearly, clearly the pathway to recovering the economy is is going to start uh, with jabbing as many people in the shoulder with a vaccine as possible. And I'd make the same point uh, here in Canada that, um, that jabbing people in the shoulder has got to be job one. Uh, and then we can start talking about the importance of, in the case of KXL, the importance of energy um, for economic recovery, mm-hmm. because you cannot develop any kind of economic uh, recovery without access to affordable, reliable energy. Yeah. Uh, Gary, where are we with the, the building of the pipeline? It, it has started on our side. Has it started on the American side or, or is it in limbo right now altogether? Notably, I mean, all the material is uh, ready to go, and notably the portion of the pipeline that physically crosses the border has been completed, So, uh, and work has been done uh, on this side of the border as well. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's a work in progress, um, and uh, hopefully we can move forward on it. But I'd point out that it's not the only pipeline that we have an issue with right now. Uh, Line 5, which is uh, an Enbridge pipeline, uh, the governor of Michigan has said that she wants that pipeline closed uh, by the uh, first couple of weeks of May. Uh, that's really significant because uh, through that pipeline, about 50% of the crude oil used by the province of Ontario and about two-thirds of the crude oil uh, used by the province of Quebec 
actually go through the United States and back into uh, refineries in places like Sarnia, Ontario. And so, um, so it's not just KXL that's an issue. Line 5 uh, is also at issue right now. And, and so we've got a lot of issues on our, on our hands. Uh, the Canadian Embassy and all of its consular offices should be pretty darn busy uh, getting in place meetings uh, with all of the key decision makers, uh, both at the state level, but also at the, uh, at, at, you know, in, in D.C., uh, to make sure that we're the first ones in the door that those people talk to. Wow, it's uh, still across our fingers and it's a bit of a waiting game. Thank you for the update this morning, Gary. Happy to uh, talk to you anytime. Give me a ring. That is Gary Marr, former Alberta's representative in Washington, D.C., and current CEO of the Canada West Foundation. As the pandemic continues, many, many Canadians, Canadians are working from home. Are, Andy, if, I t- if I turned my microphone on, people would hear me better as well, I introduced this the song, new segment. You were just letting the song breathe. Oh, I forgot to turn yeah. my microphone on is the truth here. So I will tell you. Yeah. As uh, you know, it is true. Pandemic continues. A lot of us started working from home, continue to work from home. But would it be beneficial for businesses to make remote work more permanent in a post-pandemic world? Well, Andrew Caldwell with the HR advisory team lead at Peninsula Canada. He's joining us now with some insight into this. Good morning, Andrew. Thanks for your time. Uh, Good morning, Sue. Thank you very much for having me on. Okay, so it doesn't look like working from home is going to go away anytime soon. And even if it does, does it make sense for businesses to just really kind of look at how well people did work from home and, and maybe make this a more permanent thing? Um, it's absolutely an option. And you're seeing it definitely across the board where a lot of employers are now noticing that the kind of the monthly bill for a, a large empty space isn't really beneficial for them. Uh, and some employees are definitely enjoying the, the, the more working from home. Maybe not so much the parents who are unfortunately having to teach their kids at the same time as work. But uh, once things kind of hopefully start to balance out a little bit more, it will pro uh, show some positives for the employer, a, a happier workforce, being able to kind of balance work life a little bit better, not having that long commute in the morning or in the evening allows more family time. Uh, or maybe being able to hop offline really quickly to take the dog out for a walk instead of having a dog walker do it. So there's def- definitely benefits to the employee, but the employer needs to be really worried about production as well. Mm-hmm. So as long, sorry, go for it. Well, yeah, the production, you, you, you would think that the production, the proof would be in the pudding. I guess it's on the managers to be a little bit more diligent, right? Exactly, exactly. But there's tons of software out there now for employers and employees to utilize to really check productivity level. Um, just looking over and seeing somebody at a desk in the office doesn't necessarily re- really mean that they're working, right? It's the same concept when they're at home. Just seeing them at home online doesn't mean that they're working. So what is your production value as an employer? Can you safely monitor that and actually track it? And so it does fall a little bit more on the managers to really do their due diligence and have more follow-ups and have more conversations with their employees. So in fact, it's actually a little bit more uh, conducive to creating more communication bonds with employees. So is this a discussion that that would be ongoing right now, you know, looking forward for someone like you with an HR advisory team to be talking to businesses and and management and and seeing how they can keep an eye on things and yet make it more productive for everybody? 
Absolutely, because what you need to do is not only do you need to balance the uh, production levels and values, but the the employees' mental health as well. Some employees, uh, myself included, really strive on social interactions. And so if we don't have those of a physical component and we're just doing it virtually, it's harder for management to really track that and make it happen. So having these conversations and having that um, knowledge to say, not only do we need to look at production, but the, the well-being of our employees and how to balance those, uh, an HR professional can come in and say, here's what we need to do. We need to be a little bit more aware of the production, but are they getting the work done? Yes. Then do we need to really hound them? Do we need to micromanage one employee or do we need to be a little bit less management on another employee? So these are things that employers should be looking at the data now. We've had almost about a year, just under a year, of true data coming in to see what is a truly remote workforce looking like for that employer. From an employer standpoint, Andrew, I I would think that this is a super win in that the talent you can acquire you know, when people don't have to be in the same office, in the same cubicle cluster, if you will, if, if somebody can be, you know, say, the next province over, uh, the, the next city, or across the country, uh, that's huge, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The talent pool that you have now access to is, is you know, company or Canada-wide. You're not stuck to who can drive in or who has, um, you know, public transportation to get to us. You now have a broad, broad range of individuals you can go reach out to with varying different experience to really uh, increase your work team's productivity because people will look at problems differently. So that's a huge win for employers as well. We talk a lot about mental health these days, particularly through the pandemic. So is that an issue, though, to be concerned about? Is that maybe something that, you know, we need to really dig deeper into and and have uh, accessible for employees? Because when you're at home, you know, you kind of lose that that that, uh, you know, the, the fun, the group, that whole mentality of, of being part of, you know, a, a larger group and, and that sort of thing. I would think it's more difficult for everybody, especially long term. Absolutely. Kind of as I was talking about earlier, I myself am a a social butterfly. Uh, Probably my employer likes it more because I'm now at my desk more instead of walking around talking with coworkers. But um, mental health is a big component. People are stuck inside, especially in Toronto where I'm located right now. We're on a a lockdown. We can't go outside unless it's essentially essential. Are you getting groceries or taking your dog for a walk? Otherwise, you stay at home. Um, and that can be really struggle, and especially in the later months or earlier months of the year where it's darker longer, you're not getting as much sunshine. You're not getting as much interaction. So mental health is a big component, and employers should be concerned about it because you might see a drop in productivity level. They always go hand in hand. And there's a lot of uh, employment assistance programs that are out there, all virtually, so employees can actually take their mental health into their own hands and the employer can really push for them to do that. And it's a, a quick, easy win for employers to, to provide one of those programs. And it really helps the, the morale because the employees believe that, you know, the employers looking out for them as well. Is this one of those unintended consequences of the pandemic, Andrew, uh, when it comes to, you know, those businesses that would have never considered having employees work from home? Uh, you know, uh, there's some natural fits for this type of work, but those who would never consider it but had to and now say, oh my gosh, this is something we can do. Are you think we're going to see those non-traditional businesses using it ahead? 
I think we will for those who have sustained themselves because they've looked at the the broader picture and they, they've seen what some of the benefits are. And the trick is to see the benefits from the pitfalls, right? And so instead of focusing on how much the business has changed from what it was to say, okay, where are we going now? Let's see what are the benefits. And that, again, that's where the data will come in. If those employers and those businesses are looking at the data, they can see some true true trend lines. And if there's some jobs that will have to be back at the office at some point, but maybe you can reduce your office size. Maybe you don't need to have the sprawling open space concept for everybody to come in. You can have one or two remote desks where people who want to come in or need to come in once a week have that option. You know, I mean, there are good things about it. There are bad things about it, but working from home, it's not going away anytime soon, is it? Thanks so much for your time this morning, Andrew. Yeah, thank you very much, Sue and Andrew. Have a great morning. You too. That is Andrew Caldwell, HR Advisory Team Lead at Peninsula Canada. More details, peninsulagrouplimited.com. 8.42, and a pleasure to check in with Global News investigative journalist Sam Cooper this morning on the trail, on the story of Cameron Ortiz. This is, it's almost like a movie, Sam. Thanks for joining us this morning to break this down for us. Thanks for having me, and you're exactly right. I mean, the scale of this story is all about international organized crime, terror financing, allegedly some of the worst the, the most dangerous criminals in the world, uh, the alleged RCMP mole Cameron Ortiz wanted to work for. Uh, what my investigation shows, we, uh, we had to look internationally, really dig into sources that know about the allegations against Ortiz. This is a very sensitive case, but what we learned is that the charges against him uh, alleged that he was trying to sell the RCMP and Canada's uh, best intelligence allies' international investigation plans to a global money launderer named Altaf Kanani. Very briefly, uh, the Kanani organization is, was estimated to be laundering about $15 billion every year for international drug cartels and terrorist groups, including Hezbollah, uh, a designated foreign terrorist group, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda. So uh, if your listeners' heads are spinning, these allegations are really that one of the RCMP's top leaders was trying to profit from global money laundering and terror financing. That's the nature of the allegations. You know what? It's interesting because I know, Sam, you dig deep with your investigations and the contacts and the sources you have. Uh, but somebody listening to this story outside looking in, to me, it seems like would there not be protections in place? Would there not be enough governors and restrictions in place to have something like this not happen in our nation? That, that's the question right there. We're, we're, only, we're only learning, uh, really, the, the tip of the iceberg, to, to use a cliche, about this story uh, because it is so sensitive. Allegedly, so much information was taken and encrypted by uh, Mr. Ortiz. We should say that uh, his lawyer did not respond to our questions. He faces a trial. The allegations haven't been proven. But absolutely, what my sources say is that there were little or no protections for him reaching uh first of all he he reached the top intelligence position in the rcmp with really no uh, practical experience there's no dispute that he was seen as the smartest guy in the room a brilliant academic a very smart person and uh, very manipulative so what is alleged uh, is that he really uh, became the golden boy of rcmp leaders he was given this top spot 
And uh, there are a lot of allegations against him that he used that top spot to steal Canada's intelligence with very few safeguards in place. And that's the side of the story. That's the side of the legal case that really hasn't even uh, been tested yet. That's fascinating. Moles, spies, money laundering, terrorism. Uh, So, Sam, will we see what you have found out through your investigation? Is it on Global National or where are we experiencing what you what you've learned? I know the network is looking at what we've produced. Uh, to, to put it bluntly, there's a lot of legal work and protection that goes into this story. But I can tell you without a doubt that we're working on getting out more information. And, and really, you said it all. This sounds like a spy novel. And I think it's important to say that uh, uh, a lot of the work we're doing at Global News is about sort of informing and waking up Canadians that uh, there's, there's very bad things going on in this country due to weaknesses in law enforcement. Wow, incredible stuff and an incredible story. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Sam. Thank you. Bye. That's Global News investigative journalist Sam Cooper. And to me, Sue, it just seems like like, like many things that we think happens on the other side of the world mm-hmm. happens in, in another country. Uh, not the case. And the fact a mole that, in the RCMP who would have thunk it. And you, you heard Sam more than a couple of times mentioning allegations because it's a, such a deep investigation. Mm-hmm. But to think that in, in, in Sam's words that he climbed to the ranks of where he was, um, what are we doing in, in our nation? What are we doing with our top officials who have such sensitive information? It's very much a, a scary situation, I think. You want to follow Sam and get a little more information at Scooper Cooper is his handle on Twitter. Love it. 909 on the morning news, the Consumer Electronics Show, the world's most influential and largest annual technology event wraps up today. And this year looked a lot different than previous years. Instead of flooding 2.9 million square feet of exhibit space in Vegas with over 170,000 attendees and 4,000 exhibitors from all over the world, CES's 2021 show was entirely online with details on the new look and what he sees as the biggest tech trends for 2021. We're joined by the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, what a strange year for the Consumer <laughs> Electronics Show. I mean, it, a lot of people know about the show. It, it's, pretty, it's gone pretty mainstream over the last couple of years, but usually it's all the glitz and glamour of Vegas. It's huge. It's flashy. And this year online a very bizarre experience and we got to give the listeners some context can you even guesstimate how many years you were in person at the ces over 15 over 15 years i've gone to vegas and you know put up it takes it takes a good four or five days to actually explore all the booths at ces that's how big it is so my feet were thanking me this year yeah, no doubt. but i've got to tell you guys it's a little different when you have to go online look up a company name click on their link and then watch a promotional video for 15 minutes and then go into a live chat hoping there's somebody on the other line that can answer questions because that's the way it worked this year so not very much fun i'm imagining just you know a, a lot of the the technical parts of it but what about the the stuff that they had on offer this year Always lots of stuff. And you know what? TVs, they always steal the show. This year, no surprise, TVs once again kind of stole the spotlights. You know, last year we saw rollable TVs, so TVs that would kind of disappear and fold up like a a roll of wallpaper. This year, LG kind of took that the next step up, and they introduced transparent television. What? So TVs that could still roll up, but they would be at the foot of your bed. And so if you want, you can only have maybe five or six inches peeking out, and then it would show the maybe a calendar or family photos. I mean, really, when you think about it, though, transparent TVs, do you really need one in your house? These are all concepts. 
These are all ideas that they're just showing that, hey, we're innovative companies. Look what we can do. Chances are not going to hit the market. Maybe you'll see it at a sushi restaurant or something like mm-hmm. that. But typical people aren't going to have these in their homes. You know me, Mike, and I love uh, to spend time in the kitchen. You can tell by looking at me. Uh, but I want to move to the kitchen because you've got some innovations when it comes to our fridges and, and maybe even an ice cream machine, right? Do you guys, do you guys talk to your home appliances? I, I do, but they don't answer nor listen. Right. Like my children. <laughs> You might actually have a reason to talk to your appliances this year. Um, LG, once again, uh, they have a voice-activated refrigerator. So the idea here is you could say, hey, well, it would be with Amazon Alexa or your Google Assistant. You would actually ask your fridge to open the door. So if you're coming in with groceries, you don't have to worry about putting them down. I mean, first world problems here, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The same fridge also has uh, UV sanitization built into the water dispenser. So it's claiming that once an hour, the nozzle that dispenses the water you're going to drink uh, is going to clean itself, uh, you know, killing all the germs and bacteria, such as staph and things like that, uh, once an hour. So, and I, I will point out, hygiene, cleanliness, and of course, COVID-19 also stealing the show this year. I've got to tell you, I can't even tell you how many actually press releases I received and people wanting to reach out talking about their air purifiers this year. Mm. And the other big trend, smart masks. Okay, so what does a smart mask do? So a couple of different variations on the smart mask. Some of them just have filters, HEPA filters built in uh, that uh, have to be replaced every 40 hours. They have, some of them have LED lights built in. Some are, you know, they look like normal masks, but with the press of a button, they go transparent so you can actually see your mouth. A couple of weird ones out there, I will say. One company actually has a mask that has, of course, a accompanying smartphone app. So it monitors and regulates your breathing throughout the day to give you all those stats. But on top of that, the filter can actually tell you what it's filtered out of the air, which... I don't know. Ignorance is kind of bliss, I think, sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if we need to know all that information. Yeah. I cool, think though. Too much in, when is it too much information? Now, I'm wondering if you can help Sue out. She has two major passions. Everybody knows that. She loves robots, <laughs> but she also loves <laughs> wine. Do you got anything for I her? love one more than the other, you guess. <laughs> Sue, I've, I've got something for you. <laughs> well, actually, Samsung has something for you. They're calling it Bot Handy. Uh, this is a robot that, uh, you know, wanders around your house. And the idea here is artificial intelligence that can identify things it's about to pick up and it can actually pick up and do things such as load the dishwasher, dishwasher, which I kind of like, maybe set the table, put away groceries, but it also demoed it picking up a glass of wine and pouring it as well. Stop it. It's going to pour my wine for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, I like the idea behind this, but once again, I think this is more concept than anything. But Andy, I want to go back, circle back, because you mentioned ice cream. Yeah, I'm a huge ice cream fan, um, you know, and especially with, the, you know, I have four kids at home. It, it's a busy time, so I'm looking for a way to, you know, make sure I always have it on hand. Yeah, something that uh, got a lot of attention was something called cold snap. So think about Keurig-style machines, machines that make things from pods. So in the past, of course, we have seen, obviously, coffee makers. We have seen soft drinks where you can make from a pod. We saw beer a couple of years ago from pods. This year was ice cream. Cold Snap will be selling this. It's big. It's 50 pounds. It sits on your counter, and there's these metal capsules you put inside, and then it'll make 
individual bowls of ice cream, depending on what capsules you can you, that you buy. Different That's flavors. Cool. You can do some frozen drinks like margaritas and things like that. But the big question is here, you know, Keurig tried this with soft drinks. They even teamed up with some big brand names for soft drinks to make these pods that would make soft drinks. Mm-hmm. But each pod was about $2. Yes. Do you want to spend $2 for a glass of your favorite pop? Same thing's going to happen with ice cream. You're mm-hmm. going to spend a ton on this machine in a couple of years because they're saying it's a couple of years away. Do you really want to spend 3 to $4 for one bowl of ice cream when ice cream is pretty cheap as it is? So I'm not sure if there's really a business model for that. Okay, so that seemed good, but we'll just you know push that one to the back burner. Let's get back to the wine pouring robot. If, <laughs> if it was a real thing, do you know the price on it? <laughs> well, price is always a mystery when it comes to the Consumer Electronics Show. A lot of companies are anxious to say what they're working on, but no one uh, wants to talk price. Put it this way, Samsung is not even guaranteeing this one's going to come out. What they are saying is it's a work in progress, and oh some of the rumors that we saw were tens of thousands. Tens it's of worth thousands it. Of dollars it's worth it, Mike. Like every that. penny. It's you worth think every, so? Yeah, I'm getting one. It's on her I'm wish list. Put my name on the list. She's going to start a GoFundMe for a wine <laughs> robot. Let's see how that goes. I love it. Now, Mike, we want to make sure people can get a hold of you. Uh, various streams. YouTube is one of them. Is that right? Yeah, I just launched a YouTube channel uh, last month. So if you want to find me on there, uh, go to youtube.com slash MikeYanniGadgetGuy. I'm actually going to be putting a a video together today on some of the most bizarre things I saw at CES because that really is one of my favorite things, finding those bizarro Mm -hmm. things uh, that probably will never make it to market, but I'm going to be making a video on that one. So So we'll find that on your YouTube channel and and later today you'll have that up? I certainly will. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Great to talk to you. Thank you. That is Mike Yanni, the Gadget Guy.